Rising Above with Becky Davidson. How did I feel being in need of care? Um, I kind of felt a little helpless, but I didn't feel hopeless because I felt like people really were caring for me. Welcome to Rising Above with Becky Davidson, where we hear from special needs families who rise above difficult circumstances and discover that joy can be found in every story. Thank you for joining us. Here's your host, Becky Davidson. Hey friends, thanks so much for joining us this week. You know, we had been in our summer series here at the podcast where we had been talking about different topics that you, our listeners, submitted to us about things you wanted us to talk about related to our lives as parents raising children with disabilities. And we're going to be closing out this series with this episode with a conversation that I had with Joe and Cindy Farini about what happens when the caregiver gets sick. You know, this is one of those topics that often keeps us up at night as parents raising children with disabilities because we know how challenging it is when we are sick and yet our children require 24-7 care. You know, I personally experienced this with my late husband, Jeff, when he would be sick and in and out of the hospital and I would be trying to juggle caring for my husband and caring for my son, both of whom needed help 24-7. And it can be completely overwhelming for us as parents. Joe and Cindy have recently been in a very challenging season as both of them have been dealing with health issues in addition to caring for their son, Joey, who is an adult with disabilities. And in this episode, they share their journey of the challenges that they faced and how people came alongside them to help them during this season. So here's the conversation that I had with Joe and Cindy Farini. Hey, Joe and Cindy, how are you? I'm so glad to see you guys. Thank you. you. Good to be with you. I am excited to have this conversation with you. And I, you know, uh, you guys have been on the show before and you are fan favorites here around at Rising Above, especially with our team here at Rising Above. We love you guys and what you do. And so I'm glad to have you back on as part of our summer series. So thanks for taking the time to be here. Please know how much we appreciate you and what you yes. folks all do. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we, you know, we're doing a summer series here and we're talking about, you know, a lot of times on our show, we we do interviews with families and they tell their stories. But this summer we're talking, we're looking at some different topics. And when I heard you guys at Disability in the Church conference back in April, we had a conversation, Cindy, and you were telling me all that had been going on with you, all the crazy things. And I thought when I was looking at this summer series, I thought, okay, this would be a hard but good conversation that we need to look at. And and it's what happens. You know, I think it's one of the the biggest fears that we face as parents. Um, you know, what's going to happen to us when we're gone? You know, who's going to care for our children? That's one of those things that keeps us up at night. But sometimes we don't think about, okay, what happens if we as the caregiver get sick? Or what's going to happen, you know, if we have to go to the hospital? Who's going to care for our child and who's going to help us as we're getting better when those situations come up. And you guys have just come out of that, of a season of that. So that's kind of what we're going to unpack today. But before we do that, for those who may not be familiar with you guys, just give us a real quick intro of you, what you do and about your son. Well, we uh, we, we got married in August 24th, 1979. So we've been married 43 years now. We have three amazing children. Uh, Joey is our oldest one, and uh, he's going to be 40, 
two coming up this year. And Joey is our special needs adult. He is uh, he has cerebral palsy. He's mentally challenged. He has epilepsy, asthma. Just kind of the list goes on. And uh, Joey lives with us, and so he's our constant in our life. And then we have two amazing young lady daughters, uh, 38 and 33, and they have each given us two beautiful grandchildren, grandsons. And in a couple of months, we'll have a granddaughter. Oh, wow. So that would be real. Looking forward to that. Cindy's already provided a whole wardrobe for this child. <laughs> I have so. no doubt. I would love to see. That's one of the things. Every time we see you, Cindy, at conferences, we're always like, what's Cindy wearing? Because you always have the, the <laughs> coolest clothes. So I can only imagine how amazing and cute your new little granddaughter is going to be dressed. Yeah, she's already <laughs> doing a great job with that. So, uh, yeah, we stay very open with that. And uh, Cindy and I are, you know, we are committed to uh, discipleship as a lifestyle. And so we have been very, you know, try to be very faithful to that for the last uh, 41 years of our marriage. And uh, that keeps, that's our, our con- common thread throughout everything mm-hmm. we do. We got connected with the Family Life Ministry. Uh, we started the ministry actually in Cleveland, 1991, Family Life Ministry. And and then, uh, then we were asked to join the speaker team in 2000. And so we were part of the speaker team for Family Life for 20 years. And uh, and then when COVID hit, uh, things began changing for everybody. And we thought, you know, maybe it's the time for us to transition off mm-hmm. the team. And uh, and so that's what we did. And the timing could not have been better since uh, that was the beginning of a, a lot of uh, other physical issues that began yeah. to hit us pretty. And I'll let Cindy kind of handle from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, I don't have too much more to add from what Joe said. Um, but just to, as we kind of enter into the topic... Um, I do want to just say that while I would say that I have the over the course of years and now I've had the most uh, in terms of caregiver, I'm more the caregiver overall mm-hmm. than Joe is. However, if I were not here and I were writing a book and took a week off, he's got it, Joey, 100%. He's He's got it. You know, yeah. Joe is a helper. He is uh you know, we kind of team it. I'll say, you know, his teeth are brushed, his whatever, whatever. And then he'll say, well, I did this, you know, so it was a, it's a team effort. So I want people to recognize that um, whether he's down or I'm down, it puts it all on one of us, as you well know, full time. Right. right. So, you know, you can certainly participate in this conversation as well, because <laughs> I think what you would have to say would also Absolutely. be very yeah. helpful. So we sort of conversational to one being gone forever now right. from your life us being down one at a time. So totally. Well, and so tell us a little bit about, you know, you said Joey's 42. Now he lives with you, correct? So yes, tell he, us a little bit about his care needs now that he's an adult and living with you. I know you talked about brushing teeth and things like that, but I mean, it's 24 seven, right? Yes. Now, you know, when, you know, when we kind of look at Joey, maybe it's because we know him and love him and he's been with us for 42 years. We don't, consider him as involved mm-hmm. as the care of some other children. Joey is mobile. Uh, he is somewhat verbal. Not Most people would not understand him. We would kind of have to interpret for him, but we get his what he's saying. He can actually read fairly well. Uh, the other day, Joey, Joe gave Joey the Bible, and he was just sitting down, read, just children's Bible, you know, and he was reading from about Joseph. Mm. And of course, he's heard it many, many times, but he can read. Um, 
So that is a huge thing. However, it is not within him to think, oh, I should get up and go to the bathroom, brush my teeth, shave, wash my face. If it were up to him, he would just get up and do whatever he's going to do next, which may be watching one of his movies. He has a telephone that he can get around. He does a lot of YouTubes Mm -hmm. um, and finds finds things that way, which is amazing to me. And um, so, but he does need care. You know, if he goes to the bathroom, it's helpful for us to make sure that he did clean himself well. And Joe has to give him a shower. He wouldn't think anything about getting in a shower, period. He wouldn't even think to turn the water on, you know? So it's the thinking ability of his own being. It's just he wouldn't wouldn't think of it. Now, if you're going to say we're going to go to so-and-so's house and play some Xbox or something, he'd be all over that and he'll be packing all week long in anticipation of going. So if you can figure him out, let us know. (laughs) I love, you know, it's can't do a lot for himself, but he can do a lot for himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he sounds like an amazing young man. And I know, you know, I think a lot of people, they, they, they look at and they, when they're, or when our kids are younger at the thought of our kids never leaving our home, you know, they they're going to stay, you know, John Alex is 25, still lives with me, but I love that. I'm so grateful. I know early on that thought of him not um, ever being out on his own was heartbreaking, but now Oh, I love the fact that he's home with me. And I think you guys are the same way with Joey. And it's so sweet. And, you know, I, too, like you said, I, you know, I, um, you know, when my husband was sick, we we went through the season of for years, years and years and years of my husband being sick, me having the care of, of my son, trying, you know, my husband in and out of the hospital and trying to navigate that and trying to figure out how do you care for your son who needs 24-7 care? How do you care for your spouse who's, high, you know, has high needs? And um, you guys have just recently come out of a pretty scary experience where, um, you know, you had some illness. So let's unpack that a little bit. What happened and how did that all unfold? Well, look, I think I'm going to have Joe start and kind of take us back to where things started. And then we'll pick up with me. And then we have a little bit of an ending of what's next. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Well, uh, I began my uh, my journey into the hospital world uh, back in uh, February of 2021. I had my first hernia at, uh, at that time. Uh, six months later, I had a recurrence of the same hernia. And so I was back in the operating room. So that was hernia number two. And so we kind of went to the hospital, the emergency room in January 2022. And uh, what they found basically after a CAT scan and everything was that uh, I had this bladder situation and and I had kidney symptoms as well. When I've been having kidney symptoms for years and and I just thought, well, it was just, you know, maybe some kidney stones developing, but a long story short for the next five months, I was self-catheterizing myself for three to four times a day. And uh, and then uh, finally, I ended up uh, at the Cleveland Clinic, and, and I found myself in the hands of a really, really very good surgeon who um, recognized the problem as the causing problem was just this in, enlarged prostate. And so in June of uh, last year, 2022, uh, I had uh, a major prostate surgery and uh and i thought well great everything's getting better back to normal here 
And uh, it didn't take long in January of 2023, I was back in the emergency room. All this was going on in the midst of some other major problems that Cindy now found herself. I mean, during this whole time, Cindy was really, she's the great nurse. She was taking care of me and and she uh, basically took care of uh, you know, of of my needs as as much as I needed to care for, and uh, but uh, then you know it, it was last summer, so no, last September or so. Uh, Cindy, who has a severe back problem, and has won almost all of our entire married life. Uh, she could not move, and so I had to call the ambulance, and uh, they had to take her into the ER. And uh, and she ended up in in intensive care unit eventually. I'm missing part of the story here, but uh, she could not move. Literally, they finally got her drugged up and uh, to the point where she can get out of bed and go to the bathroom. But uh, it was when she was trying to get back out of the bathroom, she could not get out of the bathroom for reasons that were not related to her back problems. But by God's grace, she was already in the hospital because of her background, because what she had was actually the beginning of uh, major um, blood clots in her lungs. And so, Cindy, why don't you tell that, that backstory as to how you uh, ended up having what you had, your pulmonary emboli. So uh, a step back just to say that when Joe was sick, um, you know, life continues on. When I was sick, life continues on. Nobody mm-hmm. stops around you. Right. Uh, Joey doesn't. He still has needs. Your son still had needs, no matter what you mm-hmm. had going on with your husband and visiting in the hospital, and that sort of thing. Um, we are very thankful that we have family support. Um, I have two, we have two daughters that are hap, you know happy and willing to help. I have a sister um, that is happy to help. I have another sister that helps in kind of different ways because she has four of her own children and a lot of needs going on there. So it's just there. People help where they're able to help if right. they're willing to help. Right. You know. But what happened to me just very quickly, um, I was in the hospital because I could not move. I had hurt my back, um, probably just moved funny. You know, it could be brushing your teeth in a weird way. It could be anything. My back just goes out, lower back. This, it's probably been this bad, maybe the first time I had it, hurt it. But this time I could not move. I could not even get out of bed. And so uh, we had the ambulance come. They took me to the hospital. Um, and by the, they gave me the muscle relaxers, painkillers, and, you know, I was starting to feel some relief. Um, I was not, I had not been able to go to the bathroom. And I know that was mostly psychological just because, you know, I wanted to kind of not think about getting up. And then, you know, they were preparing me so that I could go to the bathroom and I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't. I was like, I, I need to go to the ba- into the bathroom. And so they used all these different techniques. And I said, you're just going to need to catheterize me because... I'm pretty full. And then then I felt better, a little bit better, you know, just that part of it. But I still couldn't get up. The next, so they they said, once I started feeling a little better, are you ready to go home? And I, or would you, do you, would you like to be in observation for one more night? And I said, I feel more comfortable to stay one more night. And if anybody who knows me, most of the time I would say, well, I'll just go home. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt like I needed to stay. Next morning, Joe is expected to come get me. So I'm getting ready in the bathroom and I'm putting on my undergarments. And all of a sudden, I'm having a hard time breathing. Now we take four mile walks, we, brisk walks. And I was like, this is not right. 
So I thought, while you're in the bathroom, you've got a button, push the button, don't get up and hurt yourself or fall or get dizzy. I didn't know what was happening. I got a nurse who brought me back to bed. Um, my blood pressure was 66 over 47. My heart rate was 170. After blood tests, my red blood count was six. Um, and the part of the God story was a nurse came in and um, identified herself. And she wondered if I knew who she was. And with her mask on, I didn't know who she was. And so she lowered her mask and she told me who she was. And she was someone in our life from many, many years ago that I knew. And it was a joy to see her. And she just said, let me just tell you that um, I've called Uncle Joe and he'll be here any minute. And I'm like, any minute? Like, I'm not ready to go home yet. I didn't know what was happening. And oh, by the way, my oxygen level was very, very low mm -hmm. too. So all those things together. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm, I'm not putting it together. And then she says, there's going to be about eight or 10 people here in this room in a minute. And just know I have everything under control. Everything's going to be fine. And Uncle Joe will be here soon. And um, we'll take good care of you. And I never worried once. Mm -hmm. Partly, I didn't know what was happening. But then right. when I started hearing, then I, I was like, wow, this is a lot. The same person that I'm sharing with you about this God story shared more with me that she had seen the... Um, the CAT scan of my lungs, and I had hundreds of blood clots just sprayed in wow. all five lobes. And she said, and all, every doctor confirmed this in things they said, had I not already been in the hospital, I would not be here. So Amazing. then it went to, um, I was being given a blood thinner, but then they were finding through my blood tests that I was in, um, internally bleeding. And so... Mm -hmm. They did an upper GI to find that I had several, I don't know how, I don't remember how many um, esophageal ulcers. So then I needed blood transfusions. So then I was off the thinners. I mean, it was just like complication, complication. And then there were a few more other things too. I had a D, I wound up being at home with the DVT in my leg. And um, for those who don't know, that's a clot in your leg. And um, there was one other thing, heart strain. And there might've been one other thing. If I think of it, I'll throw it in, but yes. you get the picture. Yes. And so I was in ICU for five days. I don't think I've ever been as weak, even in having children, I was never as weak as I was. And so um, I needed, I needed rest. And yes. when I got home, uh, Joe said to me, you know, Cindy, you, and I love doing meals for people and helping people. And what do you need? You know, if you need, and I love doing it. And he says, I'm just going to tell you, if anybody offers, I'm saying yes. And, and I thought to myself, well, I probably could cook a meal. You know, I could cook a meal. But what I found was, and this was what was interesting to me. So when I came home, I was sleeping 12 hours in the night with two two-hour naps in the day for the first week. And I was doing it based on need, not thinking, oh, it's time to go to bed. Mm-hmm. The second week, I was sleeping 10 hours a night with two one-hour naps. And the third week, I think my sleeping was getting a little bit more like an eight-hour with a rest in the daytime. Mm -hmm. Had I not noticed that, I don't know if I would have noticed how weak and needy I was for rest. Yeah. And so I like to say that to people because 
you know, when people would bring a meal, I tried to come and greet them and say hello. And I tried to at least have something halfway decent on and maybe not makeup and everything, but look halfway decent, you know? And I don't think sometimes people look at you and they probably think like you could cook a meal. So I was thankful for Joe's push on that because I probably would have said, oh, I'm good. You know, with all that said, um, we were very well taken care of. And I feel like we learned a lot from the perspective of often people will help the family. You know, it might not be that there was somebody that was sick or you're helping the child. Mm-hmm. Or if it's an elderly, like you're caring for, say, a, a parent who has Alzheimer's or something, it's helping them where this was helping us, the caregivers. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you are caregivers. That's your full-time role with your son. And so how did that make you feel as a caregiver to now be the one needing help? You know, we as we as parents are standing up, doing all the things that we need to do and, and, and always there on the front lines with our kids. But then when this time happens, how did that impact you as a caregiver, knowing that you now needed to have the help? And was it hard to to ask for help? And to, was it hard to allow people in? And I know, Joe, you were like, nope, if people ask, we're, we're saying yes. But, you know, how did all that work for you as a caregiver yourself than allowing other people to come in and help? Because I know Cindy is a, a helper and she always wants to serve and she's always there to provide meals for everybody. I knew I had to kind of be a little preemptive on this mm-hmm. one and I had to engage and say, listen, this is what we're going to have to do. And uh, and so, as Cindy said, we we were very, very humbled by by the graciousness of so many people who were willing to come and help. Yeah. When when they recognize the need, and and I think that's part of maybe the answer is that you you have to be willing mm-hmm. to share the reality of the need that exists. And at that point in time, the floodgates kind of open up, and and people just kind of one after another just provide. And but if if you didn't tell them or that word wasn't sent out, then it, it wasn't going. Nothing was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say, even though this is not one of the verses in Ecclesiastes, I think there is meaning to this. And, you know, even if you're a giver, you have to be a receiver, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and and you may not want to receive it or you may not or you may wish you could be giving instead of receiving. There's going to come those times. And I feel like that's what the body of Christ is for. And that's what when people provide for us, we see the body of Christ in action. And as much, and I and I really had to get to a mindset of saying, Cindy, you know how much you love doing this for other people. And so let them have the blessing too, because I yeah. do feel blessed when I get to do that. So, but I think there's um, you know, you asked the question, you know, how did you feel like being the one that needed care? Um, I have to say, I did recognize that I needed care, mm-hmm. especially when I first came home, because I was kind of afraid, what if it happens again? And I'm not in the hospital. And so even coming home initially, and I hadn't had a shower, by the way, for a week. Mm-hmm. So you know, my hair, my long hair could have stood up on end. And <laughs> oh, so I said to Joe, I said, I'm going to take a shower, but I want you to just be there. Mm-hmm. I just want you to stand outside the shower and wait for me to like wash my hair like eight times, you know, and feel clean. Right. But I just felt like I needed that reassurance mm-hmm. of somebody was there. 
And I'm not that kind of person who, you know, you have to hover over me and I'm not, I don't think I'm dramatic where, you know, I think I'm going to faint or anything like that. If I'm going to faint, I'm going to say, I'm going to faint, you know, I'm going to just be a fact. It's not like I'm going to drag it on for a week, but how did I feel being in need of care? Um, I kind of felt a little helpless, but I didn't feel hopeless because I felt like people really were caring for me. And I know people would have done other things for me. Uh, One of our daughters took Joey for a couple of days when I was in the hospital. When I came home, it was good for him to be home, I think, and see me. Uh, It didn't, I don't think it really affected him when he wasn't with us because he was having fun with his nephews and having, you know, playing games and stuff like that. But when he came home, he kind of looked at me like, like what's going on? Mm -hmm. And then Joe uh, notice he just went upstairs and went about his business, mm-hmm. you know? So like, life was okay. Mom's yeah, home. Everything's yeah. fine. Yeah. Cause it impacts everyone when, you know, I know for, for my son, when my husband was, would be so sick, you know, you'd have to bring in my sisters were amazing and would come and help take care of him. And I don't know what we would have done, you know, without that. But it impacts them as well. And, and even if they don't have the words to say it or the, the um, we may not not visibly see it, but I know for John Alex it did in so many ways. And then when we finally would come home, you know how excited he would be that we were all back together how it was supposed to be. So, you know, I know for us, uh, we had some things that were so helpful for us. Some things that, you know, we we had um, a, a life group from our church. We were not even a part of this life group. But this group, every week, we had a meal delivery service here in town that they would fix really healthy meals for you. And they every week we had meals for a very long time. Um, and that was such a help. We didn't ask. They just did it, you know. And so what for you guys during this season what were some of the things that were just like home runs, such a great help? And you, you know, would be something you would recommend to people who may be wondering how in the world do we help someone when they're in a situation like this? Sure. Well, what you said is certainly helpful, having meals provided. The one thing I would say in regard to that is have one person in charge. Because mm. somehow we wound up having two people in charge. Now, we didn't have too many meals. We had just enough, but on occasion, we'd have extra at the end of a meal, and I would freeze it. Then when all the meals were done, which was about 10 days, and that was adequate for me um, because I still was going to be home and just like getting back to life, and and I wanted to, but I had some frozen so that when all those 10 days were done, I um, I had probably another six days at least of dinners. And, you know, breakfast and lunch is another story, but to prepare a dinner that was very helpful. But this is just kind of a funny story. So this one um, gal who came, uh, I've known her for a very long time. And she doesn't, she doesn't particularly care and love to cook. And she and her sister both say, oh, you know, we're not great cooks. They cook, they cook great, but maybe their confidence wasn't in that. Okay. So she comes over with like a half of a honey baked ham, Mm -hmm. tons of rolls and uh, these scalloped potatoes and a couple other side things. And, you know, I was very great, but he, he had to bring it in. It was so heavy. And I was like, after she, I was so grateful and I thanked her and everything. And since then I've told her what I'm going to tell you now. And that is, so Joe brings it in and I'm like, what are we going to do with all this ham? But you know what? 
the kids came over with the grandkids. My sisters might have stopped over or someone might have stopped over at just a time where, you know, we're going to get something out. And I'm telling you, we mm-hmm. ate all the ham, all the buns, and it was fabulous. I would do that for someone. Mm. And I would tell them, be ready for company. If company comes, get out your ketchup and mustard or whatever you put on your sandwiches and it's all ready for you. That was the biggest surprise and blessing. Mm. And I would have never thought to do it as one who people all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That was a fun one. Very generous. It was very generous. Yeah. And other people too, a couple other things that people did We had one friend stop over and she had just made homemade soup and she put, she made six little square containers and she said, it's fresh. You can eat it now or you can freeze it. So Mm -hmm. I froze it. And she, I said, could you just visit for a little while? And she said, only if you put the alarm on for 20 minutes, because Mm -hmm. I don't want to overstay my welcome. I want you to be able to rest. And that was a gift too, even though I would have liked to for more that was a gift. Mm-hmm. And then along with that, maybe something that people should think twice about before they do. And that is bringing over a load of kids. Mm-hmm. My daughter came over with her two little boys, but those are our grandsons. Okay. We have had it not in this instance when I was sick, but we have had it at a different time where people brought all their kids over and they're oh running goodness. around. And, and you know, you, you don't need extra chaos. Your, my head was already full of chaos. Mm-hmm. What what did I just go through? I don't even know what I just went through. What how am I doing now? You know, and then I can't even imagine what you went through, and then your husband passing away, and so many many things. So I would say be very careful of how long you stay, mm-hmm. and not bring extra people. Yes. Don't don't, and I don't care who they are, even if they're teenagers and sitting there in the corner or something. Mm-hmm. Just your meal, say what things you want to say, and and that. The other one I would have is um, when I was in the hospital, as much as I love people and enjoy talking with people, I really didn't feel like talking. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to have to keep going over and over and over and over what was wrong with me because I didn't even really understand it. So um, I would say if you want to be in touch with someone, uh, maybe text them and just say, "Um, I don't want to call you because I know you know, you're in the conference, you're interrupted all the time, you're not sleeping well, whatever. Uh, I would love for you to call when you're feeling up to it mm-hmm. and catch me up. Yeah. And then do that again sometime. If, if you know, if you're the person doesn't get back with you, then get back with them, mm-hmm. but text them, give them that option of not having to respond. I wasn't even talking to my daughters. Yeah. I just didn't, I didn't have it in me. You don't have it in you. Yeah. You know, and I know like for me, what was helpful would would be when someone would send a text and they would specifically say, you do not need to reply. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. And that's it. Because it just reminded, would would remind me, I'm not forgotten. I'm seen. Someone cares, but I'm not having to respond. And so just that little, you know, that little sentence, please do not respond. You don't need to, you don't feel like you have to respond but I just want you to know, I see you, you know, and didn't that make all the difference in the world when you, when you feel like you're not alone? Yeah. Just very humbling. And uh, we, we greatly appreciated uh, all that they provided for mm-hmm. us. And but again, I, I think it's some of the basics of what has to happen here is that we have to be uh, upfront with people, you know, let them know the situation and that things are not, uh, normal and uh and so 
I will obviously not share a whole lot, just kind of just my nature, but, uh, but for these situations where my wife was, you know, I mean, we almost lost her. Right. And, uh, and just that reality of knowing that, uh, she may not recover from this is, is something that mm-hmm. people bonded to that. And, and I didn't sugarcoat it in any way. Uh, and I, so I think it's important that you, you tell the truth mm-hmm. and, and that everybody understands, you know, this is a, a situation that we need to kind of rally the troops together and, and do it what we can. And, and that's what they did, you know, yeah. family and friends were incredibly gracious and, 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 um, uh, loving. And again, that's something that's usually it's going in that direction. Mm-hmm. Cindy usually the one, the one doing it. Right. Now it's coming back towards us. It was just incredibly humbling to uh, to be the recipient of mm-hmm. that. I think that you you begin to recognize also who that inner circle of people are that are really willing and able to help you. And I recognize that that next group of people, either they can't or they won't, and that's okay because the people that are there for you are really there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people might just say, and and that's fine too. And I'm not I'm not upset with them. I'm not saying, why didn't you bring a meal? No, I'm just grateful that they thought of me. I know they prayed for me. I know if I called them and asked them, could they help me? They probably would. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you get to see also the people who are, if you will, the most caring who are going to get in and get their hands dirty, mm-hmm. you know, and help you do what they need. Yeah. We had several people who said, I don't know if I could take care of Joey, but if you need me to take him a couple of days, if you just give me, a, you know, give me sort of a heads up on what to do, I'll, I'll try, mm-hmm. you know. When he had his uh, one of his situations in Florida, um, we were with a number of neighbors in Florida. That's not what we're from. We're from Ohio. But at that time, everybody pitched in. They were like, if you need to go to the hospital and you want Joey just to come and sit with us, let us know. Mm-hmm. So I had one neighbor, my in charge person, I'd say, here's where I'm going, what I'm doing. This is what's set. If Joey was asleep, I'll, I'll tell you when I get home, that kind of thing. So that was helpful. But in terms also of other people, I would just say, and I try to do this. I'm sure I don't do it perfectly, but I try to do this. I want to be as generous as I can with what I'm doing. And so sometimes I even like to say, um, you know, do you have a taste for something? Because sometimes you get a lot of spaghetti-ish sort of yeah. things. Yeah. We he would love spaghetti. <laughs> but, you know, you do get a lot of that. And that's not a complaint, just a fact. So maybe if you're one who is willing to cook and able to cook and can do that, say, hey, would you like a roast? Mm-hmm. Or would you like pork chops? Or would you? what would you like that you really have a taste for? And then, you know, being generous in that way, not only with your finances of it, because it might cost a little more, but also the timing to cook it and and. Uh, you know, offer of your time in it, but also um, just to be able to repeat it if you're able. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, when I know somebody has a need, I make do that need, and I said I'm going to check in with you in a week, and if you need something more. And sometimes when I'm preparing a dinner that morning, I will make like a breakfast sandwich, you know, with bacon, egg, and something on it, cheese, and wrap it in foil, and then I'll put it separate, and I'll say, this is for you tomorrow morning. You don't have to think about it. And then I might just pick up a salad from our little deli and say, this would be for lunch. So right. I didn't even have to make it. Yeah, yeah. So just trying to be generous to recognize that when they're down, they're going to maybe need more than just the dinner. Mm-hmm. And if they don't need that, then 
you know, they can, something's not a salad, they can freeze it. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking about, you know, so often so many of our families uh, live in situations they're not involved in church because of their child's disabilities. They maybe don't live in an area where there's family. You know, it sounds like you guys had huge support. But I mean, I have a friend right now who lives out of state, very far away from me, who has broken her arm. She's a single mama. She's got two boys. She's sick right now herself. You know, all the things. And she, you know, we're not right there to help her. You know, we're not right there to be able to be actually boots on the ground helping her out. And I think for so many people who may be listening today, they're they're saying, you know, but who would I call? What would I do? Because I don't have anyone in my circle. I don't know of, of what I would do. And I think these are some of the things that we have to look at and go, how can we build some community even when we right now, if we're looking at our situation, that we don't have community. One of the things that we did for this sweet mom is we'd send her DoorDash gift cards because we knew she could order food. And so her friends that are her friends virtually, you know, that she's got community three rising above, we send DoorDash cards for her. That's one thing you can do. But, you know, for her to go to doctor's appointments and for her to go do the things that she needs to do, that is super challenging. So how can we encourage parents who may be in that boat who don't have people right now that they, if something were to happen today, that they're thinking, I do not know what I would do. How can we encourage them to build that that community? Well, I, you, you just said it. They need to build community. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know this person of, of whom you're talking, but I'm going to just say in general. In general, we find that most people are kind of self-centered. And they're happy to go on with their own life and have their happy life in their house. And as long as everything's going okay, they don't reach out and then people don't reach back. We have over the course of our marriage had one time we had in our home, we had a larger home than what we have now. We had over 3000 people in our home in one year. Now might've been for coffee or a meeting or the kids to get together or a dinner or some people stayed for a couple of days. We always have community around us. Now that takes work and I recognize that. But you know, if you're gonna if if somebody waits until they need it and they haven't reached Mm -hmm. out, they're gonna have a hard time. Yeah. You know, I remember years ago, somebody newly divorced in our church said, Yeah, we don't have a divorced ministry in our church. And I said, Well, I guess you're gonna have to start one. Mm -hmm. You know, the beautiful thing is God shows up in ways that we least expect it. You know, and so I'm sure that you saw God show up through this situation, through people. I saw it so many times where where we were in need of something and God would just show up with someone showing up at our doorstep. And I'm sure you experienced that as well. And additionally, right now I'm trying to help a a single mother. She's a widow with two children. Mm -hmm. And because we have a lot of ministry connections, as I know you do, and probably other, even your friend that we're speaking of, I know I'm not saying she's she's in a place where she can't give like she would like to probably right. but you know does somebody does somebody on your staff or somebody in your friend group know somebody from her city mm-hmm. that could just i have a group of people with, that would love to love on you and they might not even know her that's yeah. okay well i think it's you know these are just great stories of the need to be intentional uh with our time and and be willing to be a friend yeah i mean friendship is not easy and it, it requires 
us being available when a need arises to someone else's mm-hmm. life as well. But that uh, network building that is absolutely critically important for life crises mm-hmm. like what we experienced the last few years. But it was because of the relationships mm-hmm. that we had nurtured and developed over the years, some is going back many decades, uh, those friends remain. And I, and I think it's important for us to really begin to understand that you know, you can't be friends with the entire world. So I almost see life as a, a series of concentric circles, you know, you know, your inner circle of people are people that you can call mm-hmm. last minute and, uh, and say, hey, here's a situation. Can you help us out? And, and there's another group of people, you know, if you call them, you're going to get something like, well, we'll be praying for you. Mm-hmm. And and that's what you're going to get. Right. It's okay. Yeah. You know, and then there's another it was kind of like, you know, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's important to build those relationships and those friendships so that, that, um, and, 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 you know, you're just like me. It's like, I love being able to do for other people. It's so much more. I love doing that. It's harder to receive sometimes, but something else that, that we did that was helpful for us was when Jeff started getting sick is I made kind of a book about John Alex where I had every detail written down with, how to do everything related to John Alex, where if someone who was not used to him, I could talk them through over the phone or I could walk these, go get the book. It's going to walk you through what you need to know. And I think, you know, it took a lot of time to do, but knowing that I had things written out, um, where who his doctors were, where we, you know, what his dietary restrictions were, things like that. Um, just kind of gave me some peace of mind to know that it was down and it was available in case somebody needed. Did you all have something similar for Joey? Yes, we do. One book that I have is like, you know, not, no kidding, 10 inches like this that we would give to the girls someday when we pass. Just important papers of Joey, not every IEP or anything like that. We also have a book just like that where we put everything, everything down so that we could hand that to someone and then what you do. Um, Other thing I would add is always to make sure that all these people who help, whether it's to shower them, or maybe it's the person in the hospital who helped you to make sure they feel appreciated. Absolutely. I believe that we have the circle that we have because we have always shown appreciation. Maybe it's a thank you note, or maybe sometimes, you know, not has to be a big deal thing. Maybe it's a coffee gift card or something, just something that says, I can't tell you how, how you met that need. Mm-hmm. When I came to the hospital, I had kept track of every person who came to my room, doctor, nurse, aide, person who pushed me in my bed to tests. And I wrote every single one, a card. Now, wow. some of it might be department, you know, like the the department of people who pushed me. So I made a big card and he helped me make deliveries and we made, put a big bag of candy and fun stuff. And like, thank you, Susie, John, Sarah, you know, I'll lend one card, Mm -hmm. but we made sure to the best of my ability that I appreciated each of those people. Not everybody's going to like doing that. I love doing that sort of thing. So, but still you can show appreciation. Absolutely. And every person who left my room would always say to me, is there anything I can do before I leave? And I always let them know how much I appreciated Mm -hmm. that they asked me that. Yeah. 
So true. Well, guys, I'm so grateful, first of all, that you're doing better. And uh, second of all, that you were willing to come and be a part of this special episode on what we do when our caregivers get sick, because, you know, it's a reality for our lives and um, just to be prepared and how to, to let people come in and help us. And it's okay to ask for help, but we've got to build that community to, to let people in. So thank you guys so much. I'm so grateful for you. And I hope to get to see you in person again at another conference sometime soon. You're in this direction. You have a place to stay. That's Give right. us a call. I oh, appreciate that. We'll do that. Thank you guys so much. All right. Blessings. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rising Above with Becky Davidson, created and produced by Rising Above Ministries. To learn more about us and our resources for special needs families, visit risingaboveministries.org or download our free app. If you've enjoyed listening and want to hear more, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. You can always share it to encourage a friend. And remember, Joy can be found in every story.